Welcome to Alec Across the States, the premier state-focused policy podcast. My name is Dan Reynolds, your host. Today, I'm joined with Jonathan Howenschild. Howdy. And Chet Love. Good morning. Jonathan Howenschild is our director of the Communications and Technology Task Force here at the American Legislative Exchange Council. And Chet Love is the managing partner of the Cornerstone Group. Today, we're going to get into a great conversation about distributed ledger technology. What is that? Well, for those in the know, it's blockchain. And there is some cryptocurrencies to be talked about, but we're going to get more into that later. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm really excited about being here. So I am a blockchain believer uh, within my practice. Uh, we currently today at Cornerstone, we provide management consulting services to a variety of different uh, clients around the country. Uh, but some of the clients we've worked with have been um, cryptocurrency exchanges, as well as blockchain development companies who've had operations in the US, Australia, the UK. So had a really kind of vast experience. We just got back from Nigeria last year where we were meeting with the energy minister in Nigeria to talk about how blockchain technology can be leveraged to improve their electrical grid infrastructure and address some of the issues that they're facing in that country. So really had a kind of a broad scope because blockchain again has a really broad applications across a variety of different industries all around the world. And I started off getting involved in the industry uh, about, I want to say six or seven years ago, which is really interesting. So at the time I was a bank lawyer working for a Dutch bank called Rabobank, which is the largest agricultural lender in the United States. So I knew a lot about agricultural uh, issues. I knew a lot about uh, you know banking finance regulations but knew nothing about blockchain. But I got approached by a company called Coinbase, uh, which is now one of the largest uh, cryptocurrency exchanges in the world, uh, clearly one of the largest that is based here in the United States, back when they were in their infancy. So they had, I think, about seven employees at the time. And so uh, they had reached out and had interviewed me to be employee number eight. Uh, That was your title. Right. That, that, that would have been my title, <laughs> employee number eight, which is what I was, was interviewing for. But they needed somebody with banking experience to do a lot of the compliance stuff. Um, ultimately, ironically, I ended up not taking that position and ended up going to work for Elon Musk, uh, which was a whole nother interesting uh, ride working for working for Elon and his company. But um, since then, um, having the exposure to Coinbase, got interested in, in uh, blockchain, interested in cryptocurrency, started investing in it, following it. So I've been involved in the industry for for a really long time, and um, you know want to see uh, help edu- educate more legislators on the issues of uh, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and how it can really help them in their states and the, in their constituents. Uh, just real quick, can you tell us about the resolution? Walk us through it for those who aren't uh, familiar. Sure. So the resolution was essentially doing um, several things, and it it really kind of highlights some of the successes that we saw in Wyoming. Wyoming has been on the you know cutting edge of, of blockchain uh, legislation. Uh, they've passed, I think, at this point, five blockchain bills. Uh, and so part of that has been opening up um, the laws to, one, address a lot of the securities issues. Because, again, we'll, we'll delve into cryptocurrency, because everybody talks about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and we'll delve into that maybe a little bit later, because I really want to focus on the blockchain side of it. But um, the, the intent of the bill, one, is to help clarify, um, you know, what are these different types of tokens that you see traded and how they should be categorized, um, opening up opportunities for um, clarification from the states 
for their banks and financial institutions so that um, companies in these uh, uh, projects that are using crypto can, can actually um, get bank accounts because there's been a lot of questions with the banks around can we uh, you know, open these bank accounts for these customers that are these businesses that are involved with cryptocurrency. So there's a lot of questions there. And the also intent was to address some of the privacy concerns because, of course, as we've seen around the country, there's been a lot of states looking at um, consumer privacy laws and making legislators aware of, yes, you, you want to protect consumers, um, but at the same time, you need to draft these laws with the understanding that technology is changing, how information is being used and stored is, is different. And so we want to be more sophisticated in how we, we draft those legislation, how we draft the legislation going forward. And so that's the general intent of the bill was really just to help legislators start thinking about some of these key issues as they're going back in their states and working through working through some of that legislation. And so we've seen states um, subsequent to uh, the resolution being passed, like Arizona um, recently passed legislation um, around uh, blockchain to allow for their state uh, state records um, to start looking into u- utilizing state records for blockchain. And, and so you're starting to see other states um, do that as well. And we'll kind of get into the details of how states can do that uh, a little bit later. But that's generally the, the purpose of the, the our, our model legislation. Yeah. And the discussion we had around the model legislation is actually what kind of kick-started this conversation. We realized we needed to do a deeper dive yeah. into the technology, what it is. And so, again, as, as mentioned previously, this is all about level setting so that we can – we can really do those deep dives as we continue, hopefully, this series. Um, so we've obviously heard blockchain, uh, cryptocurrencies. What's the most common uh, cryptocurrency? What what what, appli- what application of the blockchain are people most familiar with? Sure. So what I would say is most people, again, you hear a lot of information about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Ethereum. And then you hear blockchain, and people are really trying to figure out what does it all really mean. So I think what to level set, number one, is the underlying technology that allows all of this to work is what's called the blockchain. And so most people, when they think about blockchain technology, they think about cryptocurrency. But it's not synonymous. Blockchain does not have to be um, just dealing with cryptocurrency. It's certainly a, uh, an element of it. Um, but what blockchain is, at its very, very base, it's it's a database. It has to do with databases, and it has to do with accounting, right? I mean, this goes all the way back to the Medici's and, and the development of double-ledger accounting, right? Yeah. So essentially what blockchain is is just a much better version of accounting. And so the, the idea around it has to really bring together elements that have been in the... Uh, you know, in our society for for years, right? I mean, cryptography is something that's been around for a really long time. Um, you know, the ledger accounting's been a- around. Uh, distributed databases has really been around for a while. So, essentially, what what blockchain does is it brings together these different elements to create a type of ledger that's really really secure and that's much more efficient because it allows for information to be able to be shared and moved um, much more quickly. Uh, easily and um, and is much more cost effective 
uh, quite frankly. And so that's what we want people to understand, number one, is that blockchain is not cryptocurrency. So you have um, cryptocurrencies, but with blockchain, you also have data sharing. So for instance, today, what we've seen uh, during the last um, uh, presidential election was in West Virginia, blockchain was used to um, allow service members who are overseas to do re uh, voting. Because one of the big issues that we have in the country, right, is that a lot of our service people and uh, our citizens that live abroad don't really vote. I mean, the voting rates for those people are really, really low, and that's really abysmal. We want more people to vote, especially our, our men and women uh, who are serving us that are, that are overseas. But part of that issue in terms of voting is security, right? And how do you make sure that the voting's secure? How do you make sure that the data that's being transferred is not manipulated or tampered with? And that's where having a... Um, strongly secured database that's recording this information that is not um, likely to be hack uh, hacked um, comes into play. And so we were able to see, you know, uh, blockchain voting uh, used in the last election, which was really successful and very exciting. Um, so you, you've talked about West Virginian blockchain voting for veterans. Uh, and then also you mentioned earlier the electrical grid infrastructure using blockchain as well. I'd love if you could go into a little more detail for the electrical grid infrastructure use and then also talk about some other common applications or maybe we shouldn't call them common, but applications that people might not think of. Sure. So essentially, I think backing up, the way that everyone should think about um, blockchain and explaining kind of how blockchain works so, so typically today, um, most databases, when you think about a database, everything's stored centrally within your database. So every bank that has your bank account, right, it's all on the bank's database that's stored somewhere. And so when you go to the bank and you say, um, hey, I want to withdraw money, they go to their database, see how much money you have in your account, and then they'll say, okay, well, you have $10,000 in your account, I'll let you withdraw some money. Um, but if there's a dispute, about how much money you say, well, I have a million dollars in the account. Um, and they say, well, you know, you, we think you only have 10. That their database is the one that, that controls, right? Um, but with blockchain, the, the interesting thing about it is that it's not one central database. The information stored in multiple servers um, that, don't, um, that aren't necessarily centrally owned. So the really key thing about it is that if someone were to go hack a bank account or hack a bank to change its accounting records, you could easily do that. I mean, it, it takes some work, but you can get it done. But to go with blockchain, think about it as sort of different nodes, you'd have to go and hack every single different server so that information can be held on five different servers, right? And so you have to essentially go hack all five different servers to all get them to agree that that information had changed. Yeah. So, so in terms of the security with blockchain, that's where the real benefit is um, around the security. And so with the use cases, um, because that information is stored in, in sort of separate um, locations, the ease of that information and the access for that information is easier to share. So what we're seeing today, for instance, in terms of uh, uh, what's, what people are working toward and pioneering or sharing medical records. So today, for instance, you go into, let's say you lived in Arizona and you're going to move here to D.C., and you're going to a dentist. So once, what's one of the first things the, the new dentist in D.C. is going to ask you? When's the last time you had your dental x-rays? Everybody asks you that same question. Well, so you say, well, okay, maybe there was a dentist back in Arizona that I went to one time. And I think maybe they got the 
records. So we'll call them, see if they have them. They have to fax them over. There's a huge cumbersome process, right? Same thing when you go to a doctor's office. They want to get some information on your medical history. When's the last time you had x-rays, et cetera? That information's stored on that hospital's or that doctor's database. So if you have a blockchain um, system set up, it allows for a much easier transfer of information. So then you can control your information. So you would actually have access to that information and you could control it. Because since it's a um, decentralized network, you would essentially be able to go in and authorize, let's say, a doctor's office to access this information, which is shared, that then would allow for them to be able to simply pull the records instead of you having to try to remember what the doctor's name was or the phone number and then get them to send the files over. So from a... Um, you know, from an information perspective, that's really, um, you know, great and really, I think, much more efficient. Um, as we're starting to see more rural communities um, that are especially thinking about things around tele, um, uh, what is it? Telehealth. There we go. Thank you. Um, because, again, if you live in a rural community trying to drive downtown into a doctor's office, it may take you a three-hour, four-hour drive, right, If you, if you, depending on how far away you live. And so for a lot of these individuals, especially elderly people, you want them to be able to get access to great health care while being in their house. And so how do you manage that process when you're talking to a doctor or you're trying to access different doctors and share different patient records, et cetera? Well, having this um, you know, blockchain technology allows for that type of sharing of information a lot more faster a lot, in a lot more seamless way than what you typically have. Yeah. Yeah. I think focusing on the decentralized elements of blockchain are really important, especially for a lot of the people that are going to be listening and on the call today and listening to this podcast when it ends up being live is because, you know, we focus on limited government, free markets, federalism over here, which ends up being focused on individuals and people. And a lot of times people are confused about how this technology can help them as an individual. So that's a really important argument, I think, uh, to make. Um, just moving on to security a little bit, you did mention how the information is shared, but it's still hidden and protected. And I think that's a very important argument, uh, to flesh out and explain about how that works, that relationship. Sure. So essentially the way that the blockchain works and why it's so secure, and essentially what happens is there's a series of transactions that will happen on a blockchain. So at any point in time, it's happening right now. Uh, there will be a series of transactions and information that will be shared back and forth that wants to be stored within that within that blockchain. What will happen is um, the the miners or the 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 servers uh, that are provided to that process all the information. My, miners like coal miners, digital miners, not that's right. underage miners. Th- that's for those that's right. At home. No, we need to. <laughs> yes, there are not children working on uh, on on crypto or blockchain. Um, <laughs> There you have, you do have these. So essentially, we call them miners again, using all the uh, blockchain vernacular. But it is essentially just the, the technology providers, right? The guys who are and gals who are um, offering up their their uh, their computing power to process all these transactions. The way that it works is each transaction is processed within a group. So a group of transactions get processed, and then all those transactions get stored in the blockchain in what's called a node. And so the really cool thing about the way that it's set up is that that node will have all the data and information, but it also has a, a title on it that essentially refers to the prior transactions. 
And so every single time these transactions are processed in a group, each group has its own sort of code that refers to the previous um, group of transactions that got processed. So what you end up finding is that it creates a, a chain, and that's why they call it a blockchain, of these various transactions that all refer to one another. Um, and that's really the key in terms of making all of this work, is that um, you have each of these transactions, as they refer to one another, it really prohibits tampering. So if you were to go in and try to change a previous transaction to manipulate it, again, going back to the bank account example, if I want to try to hack a, uh, the bank uh, accounts to try to give myself more money, I couldn't do it because essentially once I went in and tried to change that transaction, the that particular block would now have a new code associated with it, which would then everybody else within that uh uh, computing community would see it got changed. And so then that then changes every single block after it. And so that, and so because it's transparent in that way, you can't change a block or change a transaction after it's been recorded um, without everyone noticing and seeing it. And so the, the idea around blockchain is that there really doesn't have to be trust between the parties in terms of facilitating transactions because all the transactions are transparent within that blockchain that everyone can see it. And so that's what prohibits a lot of the tampering and hacking yeah. with uh, regard to the chain. No, I think that that's really, that makes it very clear uh, for our listeners. Um, many of our listeners are going to be state legislators though as well. So what, what do policymakers have to play in this role, in this conversation? Um, what do states have to play in, uh, you know, in this role, in this conversation besides, um, both of those entities just not being Luddites and trying to look at the, <laughs> the you know, new technology as a new technology, as a tool? Or, you know, are there frameworks to be set up around it? Are there elements that they can introduce and then try to, you know, test it out? Like you said, West Virginia using uh, blockchain for uh, veterans, or sorry, not veterans, soldiers abroad to be able to uh, vote. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, legislators um, really drive this conversation and they drive... Uh, what technologies get adopted and how it's going to work in their particular states. And so there's so many um, opportunities to improve the efficiency within the state. So one of the, one of the other use cases we've seen is around uh, real estate records and, and, and other public documents. So there's a lot of information that's available to the public. Um, but today, when you, when you think about um, real estate recording filing and the filing fees, if you ever bought or sold a house, you understand you have to pay those fees every time you have to record that information. It's all public information. The idea is that if you were to simply put things on the blockchain, it actually makes it a lot simpler. Um, you, you no longer would have to go down to the county's office to try to you know, file this thing or to you know, pull some document, etc. Everything's electronic. And the transactions are really simple and seamless. Could the uh, blockchain help with things like getting a credit score check? That'd be a question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, so a lot of the, in terms of how we store information and then how we access information, again, most of it's all ledger. So when you think about things that are stored, that are recorded, um, that were recorded in some type of ledger, that's what blockchain can come in and improve um, substantially. And so you're seeing cities and local municipalities that could be saving, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year by having uh, blockchain-enabled uh, storage devices in terms of storing, you know, public records versus the current method they're using to store all their records. So it's a really significant opportunity. 
Right, and that kind of also uh, points sort of transparency angle as well. Given that the ledgers are immutable, it kind of it can cut costs on any kind of transparency initiative as well. That's right, exactly. Which I think is a really key because again, I think you know it's interesting. You know, in our um, you know political system, is that you know I think America has one of the best political systems in the world, and I think we see that playing out you know all over the place. But a lot of other countries, you don't have the trust, and and so blockchain really comes in in a lot of places and removes the need for that trust because of the transparency of the of the blockchain. And I think as we continue to grow our democracy, being able to have this technology, I think strengthens our democracy. Because again, having the level of transparency so that people can see these transactions, can see the information and actually access it. Um, you know, there's one thing to be able to simply say, hey, well, there's public records and they're out there. There's a whole nother, um, you know, level to that in terms of who's able to actually really access all of those records. So being able to have the information available and easy, easily accessible I think is one of the great things that blockchain brings to the table for, for state legislators. And I encourage them in their states to um, you know, look at passing legislation or, or, or really bringing legislation that would um, allow for the Secretary of State to start um, you know, researching you know, those areas and seeing where they can um, start using blockchain as a, as a public record. Yeah, and uh, I think that would be a great first step uh, to look at. Um, Chet? Really enjoyed having you on today. But before we conclude, I do want to ask one more question of you. You started off saying you're a believer in blockchain. So obviously there are anti or non-believers out there. What are the roadblocks out there? What what are state legislators going to face? Sure. I think some of the road, I think the biggest roadblock for a lot of people is confusing blockchain with cryptocurrency. Again, hopefully we'll be able to come back and talk a little bit more about cryptocurrency later because I think it's really important for people to understand I think there's a lot of misconceptions around cryptocurrencies, um, initial coin offerings, and the like. And I think a lot of people get confused and just lump them all together. And I think that you know the real opportunity is for legislators to recognize there's an actual underlying technology um, that's out there um, that's really efficient. It's sort of like um, if I think if everyone assumed that the internet was just uh, about you know YouTube and cat videos, <laughs> right? If, if everyone just thought the only use for for the internet um, was was cat videos, I think we'd really be in trouble. Um, and, and so the same thing with blockchain, I think the, the opportunity is, it's not just cryptocurrency or cat videos, there's a really a lot of great usage, uh, usage for, for blockchain technology. And I would hope that um, you know people could uh, do some research, find out, and certainly Cornerstone's happy to be a resource to anyone that's uh, interested in, le- in learning more. Yeah, well with that, I think we're gonna go ahead and sign off. Thank you to Chet Love, who is the managing partner at Cornerstone Group, and then also to my colleague, Jonathan Howenschild, who's the task force director of the Communications and Technology Task Force. Do you have any final words you want to say to the callers and the listeners today? Not really, other than thank you for your time and thank you for your participation. Of course. And I am joined also by my colleague, Tom McLaughlin. Thank you for hopping on the line today. Always a pleasure. And of course, my name is Dan Reynolds. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the premier state-focused podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Alex States, and check us out online at alec.org. All individuals on this show do not speak for the American Legislative Exchange Council and are representing their own individual opinions.